Creative Brain Candy by creators for creators. The Martians are giving us a fair birth, but they've matched every one of our course changes precisely. Bastards are shadowing us. How much further to the Eros impact site? Uh, it's tough to tell through this atmosphere, but I don't think it'll be much longer. What is that? Well, it's just a bit of science history. It's the, the Drake equation. Looks like sixth grade algebra. The average rate of star formation times the fraction of stars formed with planets that could support life. Fraction of those that could develop life and intelligent life. And a fraction of those that could develop technologies that might release detectable signals into space. And of course, the time over which those signals might be detectable. That's not an equation. That's just a big fat guess. It suggests there are over 36 million advanced civilizations out there doing all kinds of things that we just don't understand. If that were true, we would have detected signals by now. Not necessarily. Space is a big, empty place. We might be too far apart, or, or perhaps they're just broadcasting the signals for too short a time. How convenient. Those things that we're looking for out there, those things might be signals. Or maybe all those other civilizations are gone. Maybe it's the nature of intelligent life to destroy itself. Well, I prefer to think that intelligent life can choose not to. More magical thinking. Hi everyone and welcome to Smoking and Drinking in Space. This is a sci-fi podcast from a couple guys who think they know sci-fi. And this week we continue our coverage of The Expanse with the season that asks the question, isn't glowy blue stuff really pretty? Starring Shori Agdashlu, Frankie Adams, and Kaz Anvar, it's season two of The Expanse. But first, he's the chicken-loving chicken loving asshole who is taking advantage of a bad situation thanks to his hidden camera network. It's Rob. How are you doing, Rob? Sorry, it's Star Crunch loving, not chicken loving. Oh, okay. shit. I forgot you mm-hmm. had those damn things. Mm. I really do just not like you right mm-hmm. now. Well, you know what? I'm running out of hard drive space, no thanks to you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's the crazy science guy who just wants to get a little closer to get a better view and finds himself in a deconstructed ship. It's our guest from Gunna Geek. It's SP. How are you doing, SP? You know, every once in a while, you just want to take a slow ship down on Venus and just breathe in the toxic and overwhelming heated atmosphere. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's there's nothing like corrosive gases in your lungs to really brighten your day. I, I want to be honest. I was only half listening, and at first it sounded like he said he needed to take a slow shit on Venus. <laughs> I was like, what Why? the hell? Do you, do you need a bathroom break, Rob? No. Do, you, do you need to take care of something personal? Well, I'm good. Are you the way that you are, Rob? Mm. I'm just special. You are special. Do you have any special news for us? <laughs> yeah, I do. All right. So where where should we start? I'm going to start with the news that you kind of trumped me on. Um, Picard, season three. Yes. Yeah. Has been confirmed. Well, they were filming season three along with season two. Right, right, right. 
But uh, that's so we already knew season three was going to happen. But it's going to be the last one, and that's really not my news. My my big news is Star Trek Discovery will be back on uh, February in February. Talking about a show that needs a last season. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, so February tenth, but that's okay. They've been renewed for another season, so oh, you've still got time to jump onto that bag- bandwagon, Jason. And I just don't understand to, why. Yeah. They need to fill a time slot until they can get whatever they want to do with Star Trek in the future going. Right. And I mean future. I don't mean this past, what it was, Star Trek, uh, whatever it is with the old Enterprise so, and Spock and yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah, Strange New Worlds. Uh, that's going to, we'll get to that, but uh, Picard will start on March 3rd. Uh, and I'm looking forward to the, yep. the second season. Yep, yep. Season two, March 3rd. I can't wait until they bring whales in. Mm. You think they're going to bring whales in? Oh, God, I hope so. Oh, it, I it is, isn't I hope, it? I hope, they, I hope they do something. That's right, that, that, because they go back in time back. or something, don't they? Yeah, that's a callback to Star Trek Four. I hope they do something. Right. And then uh, Strange New Worlds will round it off uh, immediately following... Um, Picard, and uh, it's been uh, renewed for a second season, even though it hasn't even come out. So that's uh, that's impressive. Um, Discovery was renewed for a fifth season, and then of course Picard's got a third season, but that is going to be the last. Um, Picard's getting kind of old, and I'm fine with that. Oh, yeah, I'm yeah, fine yeah. with uh, I'm fine with Star Trek Picard having just three seasons. Yeah. You know, three and out. Yeah. Yeah, I think Paramount Plus is trying to do the same thing that Disney Plus is doing, although Disney Plus has a few different properties where they want to keep a series going at any given time. And on Disney Plus, between Star Wars and Marvel, they have that geek genre kind of taken care of every week with just a few weeks off here and there. The problem with Star Trek is if they do that, they then overwhelm you with Star Trek. And it's the same thing that happened over... On what was it, Universal Now? I forget UPN. what it was, the U, UPN, mm-hmm. where people after 20, what was it, 25 years or whatever of consistent Star Trek basically said, we've had enough. I think we're going to get there with Star Trek if they keep on throwing all these series at the same time on Paramount+. Plus. Not that I mind all that great content, you know, arguably with Jason with the, his issues, but I think it's great content. And I just think they're just going to give too much because there's only so much Star Trek that you can take. Right. So, and... And the world needs wrong people too, so... And the what? (laughs) He said it was great content. I said the world needs wrong people too. Oh, I see. Yeah. So, um, and it's funny that you brought up uh, UPN and and getting that um, that, uh, oversaturation. Uh, because my next news article involves Strange New Worlds and that uh, there is a bunch of people hoping and hoping and hoping and hoping that uh, they bring T'Pol in from Enterprise for a little cameo for Strange New Worlds because technically it can happen. Uh, T'Pol... Wait, 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 wait. How far, uh, how far ahead of the original series did... Enterprise happened. Enterprise was before the original series. Enterprise was... I know, that's what I just said. uh, Far ahead. About 100. Remember Archer's Archer's dog. Mm -hmm. What was Archer's dog name? Um, I can't remember the the name. Anyway, the new Chekhov, right? Uh, Transported him incorrectly. So 
they would overlap. If Archer was still alive, T'Pol would still be alive. Yeah, so so Archer was around... Uh, Archer was Pathos. F- Pathos yeah, was the dog. Yeah. Archer was around because um, he was the first president, apparently, of uh, the Federation. Um, and based on this article, T'Pol would be... A, it's been, it'll be about 100 years. Um, uh, she'll be about 100 years old. So that is completely within the time frame of a Vulcan. It wasn't Chekhov. It was Scotty. 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 In the Um, reboot. He was banned to that planet with that. Oh, yeah, yeah. CGI creature because of the thing he did with Archer's dog. Yeah, Archer's original dog. Yeah. Now that, but that, see, that was, uh, that was the Kelvin timeline though. It was, but it's the basically the same time frame right. that you're talking true, about, true. where Enterprise would overlap with Strange New World. Right. Yeah. So, so in Enterprise, uh, T'Pol was in her fifties uh, during Enterprise, and she would still be alive because she'd be about 150 during Star Trek: Strange New Worlds. Uh, so there's there's been. Um, there's been some speculation or some hoping that maybe she makes a cameo in one of the episodes, especially since the episodes are supposed to be, or this series is supposed to be episodic and not serial. Um, Oh, boo. Yeah. It's going to be more episodic. There's going to be a little bit of serial in it from what I understand, but it's going to be more episodic than it is like serial, like Picard and discovery has been. So it's going to go back to the the original roots of little the bit, original yeah. series and and next generation. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Have, have a maybe a an overarching theme, but you know, maybe not necessarily planet of the week, but uh, you know, mission of the week. So that'll be. Can we get the salt monster back? You know, the monster that sucks all the salt out of you. Maybe. Maybe. I don't remember okay. that one. It was from the original series, one of the first episodes. Well, yeah, I don't remember that one. I haven't watched the original series as much as I have the uh, the Next Generation. Yeah. All right, what else you got, Rob? So the last one I've got is um, James Webb showed up to its spot. Yay! We'll see pictures eventually. That's it. That's all I got. It's just James Webb showed up. The space telescope showed up. It's in its spot. So it's in its Still, halo orbit. They've they've yep. established the halo orbit. Yep, yep. It's uh, it's arrived. Now they've done everything. They've they unfurled everything. And yeah, they've gotten everything in place. As far as I can tell, they've unfurled everything that they needed to unfurl. They've um, fluffed the feathers and they've uh, battened down the hatches. Uh, they did take turn around and take a selfie of the uh, alien house on the moon. Uh, oh, that's good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we're we're set. Um, and well, now we're just going to look web- up under the skirt of the uh, cosmos. Hey, wait a second. So now that the James Webb is in place mm-hmm. and Moonfall's about to launch, yeah. and we now know that the moon house mm-hmm. is just a big rock, but we suspect that it's a big rock that has a key underneath Correct. it. Correct. Whoa, 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 whoa. I Rob- think... No, no. Said it, no, it sounds like Jason's on board. Welcome. I think that 
Moonfall is actually going to be a live recording. You think it's a... I think Moonfall is going to happen in, in real time. So oh, the James Webb see, is going to be filming Moonfall as it happens. See, I thought it was a documentary that they did. I didn't realize no, this was it's, live. it's a live broadcast. Dude. It can't be because they wouldn't get any royalties from it because if it did happen, then there would be nobody to watch any reruns. Yeah, but you know reality TV is is just a ratings champion. They can't pass up the advertisements that they would get from this this massive reality. Oh, TV I'm sure. Expo. I'm sure there's going to be uh, uh, cleverly placed uh, Pepsi and Coke cans and before the Super Bowl has a chance to air. I mean, I don't know, guys. I I'm on board. Maybe the entity inside the moon is going to be. The Super Bowl artist, the halftime Super Bowl halftime. Oh, artist. so after the after we're done watching this live broadcast, it's going to come on down, smack right into the in, onto the fifty yard line, right in the middle, and it's going to be the halftime show for the big game because we can't say exactly. su- we can't say Super Bowl. Right? Yes, you can. No, you can't say Super Bowl. Mm-mm. You like can a say lot. Super Bowl. You, you, you can't say Super Bowl. Su- you can say Super Bowl. Super a Bowl. Lot. Super Bowl. Super so Bowl. I'm I'm saying Super Bowl <laughs> with an S O U P E R. So I'm gonna have a Super Bowl. <laughs> oh, you're such a dork. All right, let's hear from a let's hear from another podcast on the network, shall we? Are they as dorky as us? Probably not. Okay, good. I'm Sergeant Seagar from Eyes Forward March. We're part of the Creative Brain Candy Media Cooperative, and I'm asking you to join myself and Sergeant Bacon every two weeks on Wednesdays. We're going to discuss everyday issues that leaders in the military have to face. We're going to exchange stories and have some laughs along the way. You can find us on Apple, Google, Spotify, or simply head over to creativebraincandy.com. While you're there, make sure to check out some of the other great podcasts who are part of the Creative Brain Candy family. All right, definitely go check them out on creativebraincandy.com, along with all the other great podcasts on uh, our co-op. So who's ready for a pod crawl? Oh, if it gets us out of this news, I am. (laughs) Let's do this. We can call it, I don't know, say a pod crawl. The pod crawl. Pod crawl. Pod crawl. Pod crawl. Excellent. Insert it deep. Pod crawl. Kind of like a space suppository full of information. Earth and Mars are still at each other's throats, and both are burning toward Phoebe Station to get more information on the glowy blue goo that defies physics. Earth is going to beat Mars there, but Mars says, nah, and blows up Phoebe Station, because if they can't have it, nobody can. Earth says, oh yeah? We can blow shit up too, and they destroy Demos. This puts both sides on edge again, meanwhile, the Rossi crew make it back to Tycho Station, where they start getting an idea of what happened on Eros. Freddy puts together a team to blow Eros up and get rid of the protogoo, but an aid ship who is filled with idiots throws that plan on its head when the Rossi has to blow it up to keep quarantine containment. The shrapnel from the blast jacks up Miller's nuclear bomb, and he has to keep resetting it, so he decides that he's going to ride Eros until the Mormon Ark smashes into the rock. However, Eros has other plans and dodges, dips, ducks, dives and dodges the Mormon ship and changes course to smash itself into Earth. 
This has Earth freaking the fuck out, and they launch half their nuclear arsenal toward Eros, in an attempt to make the really big rock a bunch of much smaller rocks. The Rossi helps guide the missiles in for a bit until Eros starts outrunning them, and Miller makes it into the creamy center of the gooey blue asteroid. Turns out Julie is kinda alive, merged with the proto-goo, and driving the ship toward Earth in a dreamlike state wanting to go home. Miller puts all his best moves on her, gets some deep space glowy blue nookie, and convinces proto-Julie to steer towards Venus instead. Eros crashes, Freddy takes over some of Earth's nuclear weapons, and everyone on Earth rejoices not being smashed back into the Stone Age. There is some political struggles with the OPA between Dawes and Johnson, and Holden and crew try not to take sides. Meanwhile, something sparks the flames of war above Ganymede Station, when some Mars and Earth ships start shooting at each other, which devastates the station. Gunny Bobby Draper is the only survivor of the conflict on the surface, and she is whisked away to Earth to act as a witness of the goings-on during the peace talks between Earth and Mars. She's pretty sure she saw Bigfoot on that moon of Jupiter, and Bigfoot wasn't wearing a vac suit. She breaks out of her room and takes a walk about to go see the ocean, and Christian tells her that she wasn't just imagining Bigfoot, he's real, and she has pictures. Bobby heads back to the Mars Embassy, where she beats the shit out of her commanding officer, until he tells her that he and Mars are complicit in the Ganymede shenanigans. Bobby nopes out and claims political asylum on Earth, causing yet another diplomatic shitstorm. Meanwhile, Holden and crew have found a botanist on Tycho that came from Ganymede, and they need a guide, because they have tracked down the origin of the protogoo to just that location. They convince Plant Guy by threat of violence to show them around the place, and also give vague promises of helping him find his daughter. Ganymede is in shambles, and it's about to get worse as the air generators are overloaded and destined to fail. Holden and crew make their way down to the bowels of the station, where they find some researchers and guards assigned to the super-secret project, and they immediately open fire. Some of the researchers and guards escape, but when they try and blow Holden and the gang up with a grenade, Amos tosses it back and kills them, but also unleashes Bigfoot. Captain Ahab isn't going to let his chance at the great white skunk ape escape, so he takes the Rossi on safari and almost gets everyone killed before coming back to his senses and threatening everyone within shooting distance with a very uncomfortable colonic if they make moves towards him or his escort. Fortunately, Holden gets another bite at the apple as Bigfoot has hitched a ride and is trying to crack into the nougaty center of the Rossi for that sweet sweet reactor juice. They lure Bigfoot out of the airlock and fry it to a crisp with their main engine, Naomi tells Holden that she didn't actually destroy the protogoo they found and actually gave it to Freddy, and roll Freddy now holding the future of the system in his maniacal hands, credits. Alright, season two of The Expanse. So we are a third of the way done with uh, The Expanse, and uh, season two I think is as good if not better than season one. What do you guys think? Yeah. It's totally better than season one and definitely is as good, but totally better. I mean, season one last week, I said, is basically the mystery of Julie Mao. Season yep. two is how to weaponize the protomolecule. But the protomolecule says, hold my beer. I'm doing my own thing, bitch. N uh, nice. Yeah, I like it. <laughs> yeah. So season two is basically taking the the mystery of Julie Mao or where where in the world is Julie Mao. And, and kind of broadening the conspiracy. So uh, we, we've gone from this, this small focus on searching for this, this one person who has some sort of tie to the protomolecule. And now we know what that tie is. It, it turns out it's her father who is spearheading this effort, who his company discovered this protomolecule. And now they're, they're trying to develop it into either a weapon or some way to kind of evolve the human race into, 
uh, I guess their their vision of the next evolution of human race. It's it's kind of still nebulous what Jules Pierre Mao's ambitions are with the proto molecule, but basically. He's he's taking it to Earth and Mars and saying, hey, look, we can make a weapon out of this. And they're giving him additional funds to kind of do the research on this proto-molecule. So we've broadened the conspiracy. We have more actors now. We have Julie's father, Jules-Pierre Mao. Um, We have the under the assistance or undersecretary of the U.N., um, and then now Mars is complicit because once uh, the undersecretary, I can't remember his name, Aaron the Wright. UN Aaron backed Wright. out. Yeah, Aaron Wright. Uh, once he backed out, Jules Pierre Mao went to Mars and said, hey, look, I've got a weapon for you that will give you the advantage over Earth. And really, that's what Mars has been seeking the entire time since they broke off from Earth. You're completely right. We get more and more and more, which is awesome. I mean, we the first... Last week, I said the first three seasons was basically the world building to get us to really the starting point. And this expands beyond just the myopic view of the events because we're basically watching all the events as the crew of the Rossinati are are viewing them. It's the, the result, and they just happen to be there every time. This time, the entire solar system gets into play, and you have layers upon layers upon layers, like you don't realize that they're all working along the same lines until the very end. The biggest dupe of the entire season, and I mean biggest by like solar system biggest, is Mars using pieces diversion to get this hybrid out the big, Bigfoot, by the way, in the credits that you said, but to get the hybrid weapon out there and to have the, the weapon and they want the weapon, they don't care about Ganymede at all Mm -hmm. matter of fact they want to just completely destroy it and i don't think they have enough missiles to blow that rock apart although they probably could if they used every single missile that they have but they're okay with the egg domes going away because it's an earth-based outpost that feeds the belt it doesn't make a difference to mars they just want to destroy it as a escalation and they want to get the weapon that was being developed out of there so can, they can have their ultimate super soldier. They are a culture that is based on military conquest. They've diverted their funds from terraforming forming Mars to be the biggest, baddest military of the solar system. So it's you see it in the personnel, like the Captain Martins and the ambassador, I forget his name, and every, they're all in on that, and they all want this weapon so they can dominate Earth, and they could care less about either Earth or the belt. So you're, you're getting to see all of this simultaneously from the viewpoint of a very few key uh, places that it's coming together, and it's just so well done, and it's just a preamble, again, to the bigger story. So, so if... You know, Mars knows what's going on. Mars knows it's a test, right, on ketamine. They're doing a test thing. Why did they have their dudes out there be in the crossfire, uh, which would then raise questions? It was The test went horribly wrong. Yeah, the test went horribly wrong. they, They didn't expect the test to affect things in orbit. 
or even on the surface that just kind of that kind of escalated but they also had ships out there because Ganymede is a is a joint venture between Earth and Mars. It, right. It, it's a, a joint agricultural um, station on Ganymede uh, that that kind of and I don't I don't think they feed just the belt. I think they also bring some. Uh, no, they f- feed Mars too. Some. Yeah. So the, Mars Mars gets some of the the, the agricultural um, benefits of Ganymede too. But th- they had ships out there. I think as cover. So. After Phoebe happened, um, Earth brought ships to Ganymede. Mars brought ships to Ganymede. So they were kind of, you know, holding guns against each other. Right. They they had stepped up their patrols on Ganymede on either side of their their system. Um, so yeah, that that's why Mars. And I don't think that all the ships, or even most of the ships, um, out there, if any knew what was going to happen at Mars. I, this is a this is a super secret base. Right. Mars just now found about found out about it. Um they they haven't been in the loop until Earth backed out. So this is this is still kind of new to them and they they authorized the the test or it was basically a demonstration. A test to, yeah, it was a demonstration to Mars to 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 sign them off. On buying the technology. But why would they authorize that and then have their personnel out there in in the field, too? You know, it's, what do you mean? Well, you know, Bobby and all them, they were out there in the field during the test. I guess, I guess collateral damage. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I don't, I don't think they expected that much collateral damage. Okay. I think the test kind of broke out of the test parameters. So I, I, think, it, I think it broke out of the, the test arena. And started chasing down the uh, Earth Marines on the Earth side because that's where it was based out of, right? Is what it looked like. Yeah, that that area. So Mars won the battle, and they retained ownership, and they had a blockade basically, except right. for relief ships that came in and out. My issue with that is that if they really wanted to help Ganymede from experiencing the Cascade moment, they would have given a heck of a lot of more aid from their ships that were right there than they did. So they were kind of expecting the whole place to go tango uniform or tits up as we call it in uh, space, you know, satellite lingo. And he, or the, the Martians, I think were expecting Ganymede just to cease to exist. Otherwise they would have made more effort in the aid part of it and um, prevented the cascade I don't know if how long it's going to take basically to uh, rebuild that place or if you really could with all the damage. I do have an issue with the mirrors. So when the mirrors were exploded because of gunfire that went through them, I could see parts of the mirrors coming back down to Ganymede. But they were saying that the mirrors fell like you're shooting them out of the sky. There's satellites that are orbiting. And they wouldn't be falling. They could be deorbiting, but if they were really, it's like the anti-satellite tests that have just occurred around Earth the past couple of years. The stuff is up there for a very long time until it finally degrades due to drag, atmospheric drag. Well, Ganymede doesn't have that much atmospheric drag. So all of that battle uh, stuff, garbage that's orbiting, it wouldn't, 
just fall down right on top of the egg domes. Parts would just because you're exploding in 360 degrees spherical way, but the entire mirror is not going to come straight down. So even if it was in like a it, geosynchronous it had, orbit, yeah, it was in geosync because those mirrors collected the sun and redirected it onto the ag domes. So if it, it would explode in a 360 fashion, so some of it, like I said, would come right. down, but some of it would remain in orbit, not the geosync orbit, but it would remain in orbit and. It, some of it would impact all over yeah, Ganymede, so, but not if, just on the egg dome. But if some of it exploded, so so if, if it exploded, let's just say it got sheared off, right? A, a large chunk, a large arm of the mirror gets sheared off, uh, and it happens to be pointed towards the, towards the surface, it wouldn't burn up or anything because there is no atmosphere. So I correct. could see it puncturing the, an egg dome. Yes, part parts of the mirror I could see coming down. Yeah, I couldn't see the entire mirror just falling down. Right. Yeah. So, so I that was the one thing. So, so I had read the book. I, I you know, I got to this part in the book before I saw this this series uh, this season. Um, and that, and I remember, and I still have a bit of a problem. Uh, really wrapping my head around that mirror in terms of when it was coming down and seeing it on the screen. What I had in my head was different than what I saw on the screen. Reading it in the book and 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 how they described it, it's like it's this in my head in my head, it was this it's one mirror, one big ass giant mirror that directs collects the sunlight and directs it right back down onto some smaller agdomes that are are in that uh, halo of 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 sunlight, right? It's not it's not multiple mirrors, uh, and it, and up there when it was up there, it looked like it was multiple mirrors or something like that. It just it was hard to it was hard to figure out what was going on. So what you imagined was a giant bathroom mirror floating in orbit. Well, no, not like a giant bathroom was... mirror. I mean, it... like Star Trek two or Star, uh, it's not Star Trek two, uh, Superman two yeah. or three. No, I was I was thinking it was a collection of mirrors, but I, I I was thinking it was one giant mirror array, right? It was one it was one array. It wasn't multiple arrays like what they were kind of showing uh, well, when they were that, doing flybys. That may have been a little bit of artistic license on on part of the show, yeah. Where okay. you know the book actually did describe a, a large mirror I array seem, that yeah, I was seem a to single re- array. Yeah, I seem to recall it being one one giant mirror array, not not a bunch of smaller ones, because because they make a big deal about you know uh, Ganymede is going to collapse. Uh, they never really mentioned that Ganymede was going to collapse because of the cascade that they talked about in there. It was more along the lines of it was going to collapse because there was no sun. So all the plants are going to die and the mm. bread basket is gone. Ganymede was the bread basket of, of the solar system um, of the belt. And that bread basket is gone because it, there isn't enough sunlight that can reach Jupiter, you know, way out there. Yep. So, so, the, and that's what they always like focused on. So, so when they were describing things, it's like, okay, it's this big ass array, because if it was if it was tinier mirrors, 
kind of like what they showed in this in the thing. It's like, oh yeah, okay. So they lost one, maybe two ag domes. They from what it looked like on the surface, there were still four or five of them uh, there. Well, but I think I think the larger issue after the mirrors came down and did the catastrophic damage, and somebody was leaching the nutrient. Um, nutrient or the nitrogen out, out of, the, of yeah the, they switched out the stuff yeah yeah the nutrient bath out of the uh, the hydroponics is that the the air right uh, circulator the air system was was in catastrophic failure yeah basically what I'm trying to say is Mars knew that they were dooming everybody yeah. that was on the surface oh yeah. yeah yeah and think about it I don't think Mars really cared because it seemed yeah. like most of the people that were manning Ganymede Station were belters, right? And Mars doesn't yep. give two shits about belters. Yeah, that's what I just said about five minutes ago. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. So um, uh, let's let's back up in the in the series or in the season here. Beep, yep. Beep, there we go. Beep, beep. Uh, would you guys burn the proto molecule or keep it? The the one that they put in the uh, torpedo. I'd get rid of it. You'd get rid of it. Yeah, because just like uh, What's-His-Face, the undersecretary said, you give a monkey a bone or a stick, he's going to beat another monkey with it. Yeah, here, here, You give humanity a, a proto-molecule, they're going to fuck each other up with it. What about you, True. SP? The issue that I have with all this is they're assuming that it was just a, a limited exposure at Phoebe that was gen- then generated in the arrows. What they're not taking into account is that this has already been propagated to different places. Right. So it went from Phoebe to Eros, maybe to Toth, the Toth station, but definitely to the research station on Ganymede that Dr. Strickland had. Right. And they weren't accounting for the fact that there might be more of this stuff out there. They weren't accounting for the fact that none of it leached outside of Eros, which is a distinct possibility. If this, so the big revelation that came to the Rossi crew and everybody else that came to the revelation was that this is not from the solar system. Right. This is from outside and it's some kind of life form or something that's acting like a life form. If that's true, and if it survived in the vacuum of space, it's got to be out there. Even if they were able to completely pulverize Eros or Phoebe, like Phoebe was destroyed, right, by the Martians. There's some residue from that out there. They didn't completely fry it when they exploded Phoebe. Well, I thought they had, uh, they they melted the place before they left. Yeah, they they, they hit the, the station that Phoebe was or that, that was on Phoebe with a bunch of nukes. So they would have slagged the station and then that broke Phoebe apart. So Yeah, but just think in terms of the, the archaeological digs, and I said that completely messed up and I swear I'm not drunk, uh, across the solar system that we're having today, we're finding these tardigrades all over the place. Tardigrades can survive in the vastness of space. Uh, an asteroid hits Earth some you know before now, some rock is kicked up there and it still has life in the form of tardigrades on it, which then can find its way to another planet and start life on a different planet. What I'm saying is in all of the travels of the protomolecule, not to mention we don't know if the sample that we found at Phoebe was the only one in the solar system, but if 
there's more out there, then you would want to keep a sample around to study it. And I get what you guys are saying. You don't want to make it available to people that are warmongers and want to make it into weapon. Obviously, that's what happened. But to get rid of the sample like the Rossi crew wanted to without considering the fact that there might be more out there, I think was a little short-sighted of the Rossi crew. But I don't necessarily disagree with wanting to get rid of it because it's bad. Yeah. Like somebody could happen along it, some rock hopper that wants to mine the what's left of the of the rock there for whatever reason, or a pirate might want to hide there and oh, what's that? That's a missile. Wow, we can take that. So yeah, it's just a bad place to keep it. But where else are you gonna keep it? So I you know, I get the the rationale of wanting to get it in. The issue in the show, of course, is that Naomi has done it in secret and, in fact, in direct violation of what she showed them because she showed the missile going into right. the sun and right. to the Rossi crew, and that was not the case whatsoever. Yeah, yeah. So how much, how much proto-molecule do you think was on Phoebe? Not much. I don't think when they started it, maybe... I don't know, maybe even just a handful. I I think it Yeah, it probably I, wasn't much. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it could, I mean the, the we we've seen that the proto molecule is able to replicate itself right. and grow. Yeah. So it wouldn't take much for them to to grow the the proto molecule into the the sample sizes yeah. that they had. Yeah, cuz I mean I mean we don't have a time we don't have a timeline in terms of how long had they had a research station on Phoebe before they found the the sample or the protomolecule? We don't I mean we don't know how long it had been there, but you would think if there was a vast quantity on Phoebe, it would have been found significantly sooner. Right? Yeah. Unless unless Phoebe just has the you know, the gooey center as protomolecule and it just took well, them a while think, to go to I the gooey center. I think what oh, happened yeah. with Phoebe is they found the proto molecule, and then they used Phoebe to to start researching the proto molecule. Right. Remember, and Phoebe when, was not from the solar system. Phoebe was captured by, by the gravity right. of Saturn. Yeah. Saturn. I want to say Jupiter. Jupiter. No, Phoebe is around Saturn. Yeah. Okay. So by the it was capped. Well, I there's speculation that if anything's captured in the solar system, it's really captured by the gravity of Jupiter and then redirected to wherever it ends up. Oh, okay. I, I, yeah, I see what you're saying, but no. Oh. oh, because Jupiter's so large. Yeah. Good. The Jupiter, the gravity of Jupiter is outweighing everything else. So. If something like Onomatopoeia or whatever that asteroid was that or comet was that <laughs> screamed oh, through, Mamu. Our... <laughs> no, yeah. Onomatopoeia. That's that's it's like um, Saskatchewan. See? Yeah, I, I like that. Pocahontas. Better, right? So, yeah. uh, uh, whatever means family, family means nobody's lost or forgotten. Uh, the 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 issue though is that this is a rock from outside of the solar system. Uh, but yeah, I agree that it wouldn't be a bunch. It'd be a small little handful, but we don't know if it was seeded. It was sent to our solar system centuries ago or thousands of years ago by another civilization, or if 
it was the resulting of an explosion somewhere or something. We we don't know. All we know is that it's probably not from the solar right, system. Right. We know, but we don't know. They're saying it's from the Kuiper Belt. Well, we, we don't know, but we know. Right? Because they haven't, I mean, we haven't seen it in the season, but we know. Because we've watched other seasons. Well, I mean, in real life, they're saying that Phoebe formed in the Kuiper Belt. Oh, oh, gotcha, gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Anyway, yeah, a bunch of stuff happens here. There's just so much. Matter of fact, let's break down the the whole season into two parts because you have episodes one through five, which is the whole issue with Eros. And then you have the rest of the season. I almost think it should have been broken up into two seasons or maybe a, a season then a, a mid-season break or something like that. So what probably happened is they had 10 episodes in season one and realized they weren't going to be able to fit the rest of the five episodes that kind of make up the rest of season one yeah. uh, in season that, that they aired in season two. Uh, they weren't going to be able to tack that onto the end of season one. So they just kind of padded season two with those five episodes. And it kind of, it kind of pulls the first few episodes of season three should have been in season two. Right. Yeah, so so if they wanted to follow a little closer to how the books went, I would have thought that, you know, season one would have ended with with Phoebe hitting Venus. Um, season Eros. Eros, sorry. Eros hitting Venus. And then season two would end with uh, what's going to be the ring. Uh, right. That shows up in like I think it's the first couple episodes of season yeah, three. Yeah, it's, it, it's real quick. Yeah. after season three um, starts, and then and then the rest of season three is all is all about in you know getting going to the ring or whatever. Um, right. You know, not necessarily getting inside the ring, maybe, um, but definitely to the ring. Those first five episodes was it definitely a carry on or a tale to season one, mm-hmm. but they were so impactful. So you get Miller that's coming to terms. You get the Rossi crew, not just the first five seasons, but for the, the entire season, they're dealing with survivor's guilt, basically from arrows each and not all at the same time. They come to it at different times during the season, but they're all suffering for it from it. And they all have issues at different points during the season. So you get that. But at the end of the five episode swing you get the biggest ship ever built by humanity that's meant to colonize another solar system being sent to explode an asteroid the size of arrows it misses and then miller who's stuck on the surface goes in and meets a reincarnation of julia or whatever who thinks she's flying her razorback racer and You'll never going catch home, me. yeah, and going home, which was the name of the episode, home, and Miller in his brilliancy says, nah, let's not go to Earth. We can't go there. Let's go to Eros. And she goes with him because he's the only person that's come to rescue her because like last season, I said, everybody used her and he's the first one that comes along that's no, I'm going to stay here with you, but we can't go to the Earth. So let's go to Venus. And so Eros impacts Venus. This is amazing on so many levels. Like she is actually driving an asteroid. 
they're diverting and hitting a planet. The big, huge Naboo is being stolen and used in this big plot. There's just so much goodness in the five episodes alone. It's like, wow, what can happen to make this better? And then we see what's better. It's in the second part of the season. And then like you guys were saying in season three, it even gets better. So this is just amazing sci-fi. I love it. Now I will say that the transition uh, episode or two uh, between the crash on Eros and them starting to head towards Ganymede and the, and the stuff that happened on Ganymede dragged a little bit. So the, the whole political OPA political intrigue on Tycho, uh, I understand it, it kind of needed to happen because it sets the pieces up for season three and beyond. But yeah, there just wasn't a lot that happened in those two episodes, and it wasn't just super exciting either. You did have some key things that happened. First of all, they go into the history of the Solomon Drive, right? Right after sure. Eros. Epstein you get Drive. The, Epstein Drive, the, yeah. The Epstein Drive, Solomon and Epstein, yep. 135 years, 37 years ago. So you get that, and you get the history behind that, which I think was needed because... Otherwise, you know, why are all these magical ships able to go across the solar With, system? I mean, on very little it, fuel. Yeah, we do it in other sci-fi properties, but I think it because they were trying to bring the science in here, I think it was needed. And then in episode seven, the next one, you get the seventh man wasn't wearing a vac suit. You get that revelation. In episode eight, you get... Episode eight is, I think, the slowest of the three following Eros because... Uh, you get Prax's friend Doris, who's spaced on that freighter right. because she was an inner, right? Mm. So very, very, very sad and like, ah, but they did it. Um, at least they followed the science behind it and the weightlessness and stuff like that. And then at the end of that episode, you get the fracture of the OPA between Daw- Jaws, Jaws, Dawes, <laughs> Johnson, and Holden. They're they're all parting ways. Holden is saying, are you still going to be in charge of the station when I get back? And Johnson says, you're not welcome here. And Dawes takes a scientist and goes. After that, things to start to pick up a little bit. But those first two episodes have at least something of interest. And I think episode eight is kind of the placeholder. Yeah. Once you get to episode nine, you start getting into Ganymede. Yeah, and eight was, uh, I agree, eight was relatively slow. Um, I wasn't a big, there wasn't a whole lot there that they couldn't have done with a little bit of like side exposition, right? We didn't necessarily need all of that. Let me ask you guys this. What was your favorite episode title? Episode title? Yeah, uh, you probably didn't. I, I didn't sometimes pay I watch, a ton yeah. of, let me, let I me liked, see. Uh, I liked Here Be Dragons. Here there be dragons, Here, there be which dragons. is episode eleven. Yep. yep. Yeah. Yep. yeah. Speaking I, of which, uh, did you guys see the nice little cameo from uh, of Adam Savage? Oh yeah, yes. yeah. I saw that the first yeah. time I saw this. I was like, "That's Adam Savage." Yeah. Well, he's proud of that thing too. He brings it up occasionally. I mean, wouldn't you? Oh yeah. He got to yeah. be on a ship that was disassembled, Stephanie, yeah, on, yeah. on top of Venus like that. Yep. That was awesome. I okay, mean, just, so. My favorite title is The Weeping Somnambulist. That's yeah, just the, a fun title. Yeah, the title of the ship. Can you say that the, fast? The freighter. The Weeping Somnambulist? Man, you, got you, you can at least say that. You can't say Christian whatever, or whatever her name was. Oh, I can was. say Christian. Avasolara. Uh, Avasolara. Avasolara. Christian Avasolara. I can't say. You can't say the Shore Agadashlu. Agadashlu. 
Schroes. Yeah, yeah, I can't say that one. Yeah. I can't say her actual name. Yeah, yeah. I can say her character name. Yeah. Do you guys have a favorite CGI scene from this whole thing? I mean, this is well done sci-fi, almost movie quality. I liked Bigfoot. If not movie quality. I thought Bigfoot was really well done for being sci-fi. Bigfoot looked familiar. Like it looked like another or a similar character in another sci-fi series. And I can't, I can't pick out of my brain where it came from. It's actually played by a, a real actor. I forget the actor's name, but I was looking at the IMDB and obviously in a, like a green suit yeah, or something like that. Yeah. Yep. Jason, do you have a favorite? I don't know. I mean, all of the or or the vast majority of the scenes were just beautiful. I, I like like I said in the the previous episode, the the special effects in this series are incredible. Uh, so top I've quality. got yeah. So I've got a list of five with an honorable mention. I'll go from bottom to top. So the honorable mention goes to when the Rossi saved the Samu blessed, <laughs> and I can't even say it <laughs> from the torpedo. Some nebulous from the torpedo, right? They're coming out of nowhere. You kind of know what's happening. It's going to happen, but you don't know for sure. You don't know if there's going to be second big death of a character in the season with Naomi, but the Rossi comes out and just hammers the torpedo. And then Holden gets on open channels and basically bitch slaps everybody out there says, Hey, look, we have y'all locked on our nuclear torpedoes. You know, our weapons are the best out there, which I came to the conclusion that because this was a ship on the Doniger, it's actually a, a new generation of ship and it has the best weapons on it. Yeah, that's, so that's what why, I'm thinking. Yeah, that, that's why he was able to make that. But yeah, I love that. So that's that was honorable mention, believe it or not. Number five was when Prax's friend Doris was space. And that was just, you know, really sad, but really scientifically well done. And it wasn't the first either. There's been other space in scenes, but this was the one that was done that showed us in dramatic effect and everything. Number four was when Prax threw the nuclear core to kill the hybrid or Bigfoot, as you're calling it, at the last second. And then Alex lights it up with the barbecue. Oh, yeah, that yeah. was a good uh, dissolving, dissolving dude. Right. And the hybrid has the nuclear weapon core in its hands. Like, I got it. I got it. And then yeah. it just dies happy, I guess. Yeah, my precious. Is that the the the, the figure no, you thought? No, I'm, I'm still Call trying him? to think. Okay. Number three, Rossi works with Alex to give him a path down to the surface using slingshot time. That whole thing, the ship is now... It, According to what we saw on the screen, the ship is now working with him. If you watch that whole thing, it could have been just because he was drunk, but he was actually treating <laughs> the ship like a person, right? Yeah. And how many times have you done that with your home assistant device? I mean, actually talk to it back and forth and stuff like that. And that's what he was doing with the Rossi and the Rossi helped him do it until it got to a point where they were going to give themselves up. And I have issues with that. Like thrusters alone would not have stopped that momentum and right. make, make him hid behind that that thing and rob you mentioned last time about the time uh yeah the, the yes the, the time expenditure in here right so yeah the the slingshot time wouldn't have worked like we saw it on screen yeah, but it that, was beautiful that was one of the things i was going to mention was the the time scale that they used during the slingshot around all of uh, jupiter's moons 
there's no way that would have gone that quickly. The, the, the moons are much, much farther away than what they depicted mm-hmm. in the show. Yeah. Number two was when Julie was on her little couch thinking Eros was the Razorback and was headed home. That was probably all green screen and stuff like that, but the CGI around that made it look a lot better than it probably did when they were filming it. And number one is not when the Arbogast was disassembled on top of Venus, so that would be a second honorable mention. That was well done, too. I mean, if you were the CGI effects, the the guy that actually made all that, you're like, I made this ship in little bitty pieces, and then you exploded, and you showed it on screen for five seconds, and that was it. You'd be kind of mad. And anyway, number one was the Rossi versus the stealth ship battle at Toss Station with the bullets coming through the Rossi Mm -hmm. and everything. Mm -hmm. That was the best scene of the entire season, in my opinion. Now, you guys can debate whether I'm right or I'm wrong. Usually I'm wrong, but that was my top five. Yeah, I'll I'll go with that top five. I mean, it would be hard for me to pick a top five out of all of this. Just... Just in in effects alone and the cinematography, I think they were all top-notch. Like I said, I've got some quabbles with the time compression uh, in this show, uh, but it, it I'm not sure it would be realistic or interesting to the audience to, uh, to have actual uh, time passage. You know, they, they, it would take them, you know, weeks, if not months, to get from uh, the 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 belt to Jupiter, depending on how fast these Epstein drives can actually take them. No, it's all months in the book. It's it's months yeah, upon months. Yeah, so that that's not realistic to expect the audience to to understand so, that it, it's it's months later and they're now at Jupiter. Yeah, so like uh, a good a good example of this is uh, they specifically say. Uh, later on that from where the ring ends up being, which is just outside Uranus, um, to Luna was going to be six months. Yeah. So, so that, that's still a pretty good clip. It's a good clip, but I mean, it's still, I mean, what what is it for from here to Mars in current? Six months? Six months. Yeah. yeah. And that's if the planets are aligned. So it's every two years you get a six-month window. Right. Yeah, where they're close enough to each other or they will be they will be close enough to each other by the time you get that ship there. You kind of have to time it. Yep, it's the Earth is approaching Mars, and then you launch, and then you can get to Mars, and then if you... You can stay about two months and then be able to come back for six months and then hit Earth on the backside, and it, it's not exactly two years. It's actually twenty every 26 months, but if you look at the date clock of when the windows are, it's like every two years. And then once in a while it slips three years, but yeah, there's just that that's space travel, but that's without Epstein drives. Right. But I mean, still with, with Epstein, Epstein drives, how, how much faster the Epstein, I'm, I'm sure it's a significant amount, but is it a significant amount enough to, to, compress that time well you got to think uh, though that the by a factor of 10 the epstein drives are super efficient so it's not like they're and and they're constantly burning that that's what creates your gravity is the fact that they're constantly burning so you, yeah but they're only burning at like a one or one and a half g rate uh, that's still ev- you're you're consistently accelerating so so that holman the holman transfer that is that martian window for example you burn once when you leave Earth, 
you might make a mid-course correction or a couple of them, but you're not really burning to gain any momentum. And then you burn again to insert yourself in Martian orbit once you get there. So if you actually have thrust the entire way, that brings that six months down to, and I don't know exactly what it would be, but it depends on how much thrust you're throwing out there too. But you're, you're talking days or weeks versus six months. Yeah. That that much? That much of a compression just by it's doing not, a continuous like 1G burn? It would depend on the position of Earth and Mars because that six months time, if you catch Earth and Mars at the right time, you'd actually have a much shorter distance to go as well. So, And if Earth and Mars are on opposite ends of the solar system, it's going to be much longer. But yes, it would shorten it up quite a bit because those burns are a matter of minutes that we do now when we send stuff to Mars. But if you're burning the entire time, yeah, you're, you're, that's a heck of a lot yeah, of thrust. You're always, you're always uh, accelerating. So Until you have to start decelerating. Right. But that's part of... Halfway. Yeah, but that's part of your flip and burn that they mention in the in the show and in the books you know that is but but think about this you have to decelerate as much as you've accelerated so you either have to halfway there flip and start your deceleration burn which is going to negate all of the time that you've or or most of the time that you've you've gained by doing a continuous acceleration or you're going to have to accelerate even harder or decelerate even harder closer to to uh, to your orbit point, yeah, sort of. Tell you what, sort of. I'm going to find a simulation using constant thrust and then send it you guys' way, just so you okay. Yeah, yeah. Know you know how know much what? it is. I, Let's pull it up in Kerbal. Let's do this. <laughs> we got time. It probably it probably is in Kerbal. So talking about the expenditure of time and the elapsation of time. We watched this, the three of us right now, watch this in a binge and watch season one in a binge. Mm-hmm. These were on sci-fi on a weekly basis. We didn't talk about this last week. How do you like watching this in binge mode versus the weekly mode? And then how do you think that translates into fandom if it's done weekly versus all at once? I prefer binge mode. Um, ever since we've been able to do binge mode, I prefer that. I don't like waiting to see, pardon me. I don't like that. Just do, you need, kind of do you need to wipe your mic? <laughs> I, I don't, I ever, yeah. I don't like waiting on a weekly basis to get the next part of the story. I love Netflix because they release the entire season all at once. Uh, Amazon actually did that for the first season that they produced, um, of the expanse, but then they went to a weekly model after that, after that, what was it? The fourth season that they started. So that kind of disappointed me. Um, but with my, with, with me wanting to watch the expanse, I actually did watch it on a weekly basis on week six, but I do, I do prefer the, the binge mode more. And I don't know that it affects fandom that much. I mean, there were there were still rabid fans of the expanse whenever it was on a weekly basis rather than just streaming every day um but uh yeah i don't know that it affects fandom that much you don't get the water cooler moments as much as you do to build the fandom over the course of an entire uh season so th- that that's my concern between the two yeah, Rob, what so, do you think? well okay so so I- 
it depends i for me it would depend on the show uh and, and i i kind of see where i kind of agree with you sp on the water cooler moments because it, it, there's things where uh you know, oh my gosh, did you see what happened this week? No, I'm not watching that show. Is it is it pretty good? Oh my gosh, it's so good. Okay, well, let me get into it, you know, type of deal. And you've got time to get caught up. Whereas if it's binge mode, it's, oh, this series is really good. Well, what season? Is, oh, it's on season four, but you can watch it. It's like, oh my gosh, now I got to binge watch this thing or whatever just to try to keep, keep up. Um it, you know, so I guess it depends. Um, you know, I say that, but uh, let's be honest. Up until like the last two seasons of Game of Thrones, I binge watched it in a weekend um, with Jason for like three years. Yeah. <laughs> I think you didn't miss anything with yeah. that. And I Westworld, mean, I did the same thing with Westworld. I mean, oh really? Yeah. yeah, yeah. We would we would binge uh, entire seasons of so there was of Westworld and Game of Thrones. Yeah, there was. Did you in, like in a weekend? The, yeah, there was. Did yeah. you like the time travel at season one of Westworld? There. Oh um, yeah, it was. But you did. It was great. Yeah. Yeah. No, they. Uh, so, so my kid would be camping for the weekend, and I'd have to take him down because he couldn't drive um, down and. Belton, which is south of Waco. Um, Jason lived down in that area just outside of Austin. So I would just, it was like 20 minutes from where I dropped him off. So I'd drop his ass off. I'd go spend spend the weekend with Jason and we'd binge watch everything. Yeah, I used to do that with my yeah. academy roommate. Uh, we, we would have weekends like that. We would have classes at each other's bases and then uh, he would come to my house and we would play computer games and we, it was a very, very early form of land gaming. And then we would, uh, watch stuff as well. We would definitely have binge watched this after it had aired. Uh, but I, I still think I like the, the week by week thing because it allows me to process it a little bit, but this is so good that it, I, I just, I want it to keep hitting. I'm going to watch the next one. I'm going to watch the next one. I'm going to watch the next one. And because I'm old and I'm responsible and I have to go to work at one, at some point in time, like 10 o'clock at night, I'm like, no, I, I have to stop this and go yeah. to bed because I got to get up at 5 a.m. the next morning. So I don't know. With this, I could go 50-50. Yeah. I think it all depends on the, the series. And I think this one is definitely one of those ones that uh the binge watch is 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 doable i do like i do like the episodic uh you know weekly thing because sometimes you get those uh behind the scenes uh interviews and things like that that happen in between the episodes uh and those are always sometimes fun to read read up on yep uh and you don't necessarily get this with 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 a a, a full dump you know it's just kind of like Okay, well, let's try to piece this together or parse this out a little bit. So, yeah, there's so much. I, I was thinking about this. There's so much in the season that it's almost disservice to do just a season in one podcast. Yeah. But at the other hand, you do a episode on each episode, and it just I think it gets to be a little bit too long. But I have some more things to say about this. Like Miller, I think it was an excellent send off. Uh, the whole cheese story at the Rossi family dinner, I think, was an excellent way to welcome him back. And then you had the beautiful moment with Julie at the end. You knew he was a, kind of a dumbass for taking off his helmet and stuff. But what else was he going to do? The bomb was going to go off. And then he did the redirect to Eros to Venus. So we only had one main character death in the season. I think that's acceptable losses. I don't think that's Game of Thrones level losses. And I think 
it was a deserved goodbye to Miller. At least I think so. What do you guys think about Miller's departure? Oh yeah, I think he yeah. was good. I was sad to see Miller go the first time I watched The Expanse, and I was still, you know, it was sad to see him go again. You knew it was going to happen, but um, yeah, it was. He was he was one of my favorite characters from the first and second seasons. I mean, he was he was a dick, but and but he was a very flawed character, which made him relatable. They're all flawed characters. Anderson Dawes, we talked about him last week. I think it was almost a waste of a character, especially using an actor of the quality of Jared Harris to play Anderson Dawes. I I know in the books Dawes doesn't is is not a huge player, but I think for the the TV show the character could have been reimagined and you could have really gotten some use out of Jared Harris. Yeah, they kind of build him up and then it's it's uh, it's a pretty abrupt letdown whenever uh, he gets, uh, well, we're not going to spoil it, but, uh, he, he doesn't play a big role, uh, towards the middle to the end of the, the season next season. So, and then you have another character in the gravitas of, uh, Chad Coleman with Fred Johnson. He steals the Navu. He knows he's done for basically because nobody's going to want to work with him. Cause like, you're going to steal my ship. And he ends up still having the missiles at the end after the mutiny and, He's got the proto molecule, so he's still kind of a player, but he goes through some big stuff. Yeah, yeah. So I got a question. We were talking about it earlier. We touched on it, but the the Rosinante. So that's a we're we're sus- we're suspecting that that is an advanced uh, Mars designed. So it's uh, a warship. It's a Corvette. It's a Corvette class. A frigate. It's a frigate class. Frigate class. Okay. Yeah. And it's part of the Doniger, which it's is a, a gunship. Yeah. Doniger was so, the, uh, the, what is it? The flagship of the Martian Navy, right? Right. Yeah. So the Doniger was the flagship of the Martian Navy. And we have a, a gunship frigate that was attached to the, the Doniger. Now, whether or not the, the Rossi was there because, um, it was just a, a separate ship that was, doing its own thing and docked with the, the Doniger for whatever reason and just happened to be there as an escape vessel, or if it was permanently attached to the, the Doniger as some sort of uh, patrol ship or, um, you know, forward recon ship, we don't know that. But we suspect that it was a, an advanced warship design of the, of the Martian Navy. Holden and crew are calling it legitimate salvage. Do you think that would have flown? I mean legitimate salvage they they took it off the doniger to escape they didn't salvage shit the doniger blew and, up uh um, yeah the doniger blew up do you think mars would really consider that legitimate salvage in no in the books they steal it back. yeah in the books they they pretty much mars doesn't like the fact that they have it but they're not going to do anything because of the name or because of the 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 push not the history. pushback but the history of of Holden right he's a in the books he is a celebrity and they show this even in the in the in the shows Holden's a celebrity so if all of a sudden so they don't want the PR flag right. if they try and take it back right gotcha okay hold but that do you think for that next would, season <laughs> but but do you think that would fly if like say um Let's say a, a United States destroyer lost all of its crew 
during some kind of freak storm or accident out in the middle of the ocean and was you just mean set like adrift the and ship that's in North Korea right now. The ship that's in North Korea, I don't Oh yeah. You you haven't heard the legend of the ship, the US naval ship that's in North Korea? No, I haven't. Okay, so this goes back quite a ways, right? It's the USS Pueblo, and it remains today an officially commissioned vessel of the United States Navy, but it is moored and has been moored in North Korea for quite some time. It was captured on January 23rd, 1968. Okay, so it was captured by North Korea? Yep. Did they, like, take it over with the crew intact, or was the crew... Was yep, it abandoned? The, 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 okay. No, the crew was on board. So it wasn't a pirate act of piracy or okay, so, salvage or whatever. So that was that was a, a, a takeover action, but I'm talking a legitimate salvage. So you've got you've got somebody on a ship in the middle of the ocean. They they come across this this naval destroyer, United States naval destroyer, all the crew's gone, it's it's just adrift in the ocean, and they claim it. Do you think the United States would really let them keep a naval destroyer? No. no. I no. I think I think there are different rules in space. Well, let's say that that somebody like um Elton John found the naval destroyer in the middle of the ocean and and claimed it for himself. Because he's a celebrity, do you think the navy would or the United States Navy would really let probably. Elton John keep a naval destroyer? <laughs> probably not. That's that's probably a bad analogy. I, I would rather say John Wayne because he did actually own a naval destroyer at one point in time, but that was legitimately bought off of salvage. So it wasn't a, an, and it was again. decommissioned and probably yeah. stripped of, of all of its armament yep. and major yeah, no components. nuclear yeah. missiles on board. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, you know, it's, it's a, I mean, I'm not familiar enough with, I guess I'm not familiar enough, but I mean, the, the analog is maritime law, right? right. So yep. you figure in, in space, they would have extended maritime law to, to, uh, to space. And there is legitimate yep. salvage out in, in, uh, you know, in the middle of the ocean in international waters uh, under maritime law. I'm not familiar enough with maritime law to know if that applies to, uh, ships of war. Well, some of it goes back to Naomi just knowing enough to booby trap the whole thing. So if anybody tries to take it over, it's going to self-destruct or something like that, which maybe Mars wouldn't mind. But so they have built in a little lore in the TV series that anybody that comes to try to take it is going to have difficulty in doing so. Right. All right. Rob. Yes, sir. You got a haiku for us this week? I do. Uh, this one is titled Space Drugs. Snorting fireflies, Venus acid atmosphere, chicken in a can. <laughs> so chicken in a can is a drug. Uh, apparently. I mean, it's got high street value. No shit. Yeah. Now, is it a All whole right, chicken or is it just like like chunk white chicken? No, it's, it's, like, it's like shredded or yeah. chunk chicken chunk like white you, chicken you get like in a can get now. now. Okay. Yeah, yeah. All right, SP, the rumor has it that you've got a limerick for us this week. I do have a limerick. You guys ready for it? Let's do it. It's titled The Expanse Part 2, 
breakups. Miller, Dawes, and Fred Johnson disband. The Rossinati family now damned. Abergast, Spectre, Draper, Protector. Demos, Eros, and Phoebe are canned. All very right, nice, all right. very nice. All right, who's got awards this week? Yes, sir. All right, Rob, who's got your black lung? Oh, I, I still gave it to Christian. <laughs> yeah. SP? I'll give it to the hybrid. Oh, the hybrid, yeah, nice. for, for getting toasted. Yeah. Yep. Uh, mine's going to go to Christian as well. So, I mean, she still sounds like she's forever going to sound like she's smoking you know, like and five the more, packs a day. And the more excited she gets, like during that gunfight, oh, yeah. oh my God. You, you hear a lot more gravel. Golly. Yeah. Hey, when she's interrogating Draper, where is this going? Wherever I goddamn want. Yeah. Uh, I love her no shit attitude. I really like that character, especially for a diplomat, for the head diplomat of the UN. She has just got a very non-diplomatic affectation. When Mao enters onto the leisure deck or wherever that was, she's like, let's just get down to tax. What the fuck do you want? Yeah. (laughs) That's great. All right, SP, who's got your head lush? Oh, I will go with Aaron Wright. Because of killing the Martian ambassador, I don't know what to call him, with the uh, drug in his drink. Okay. The drug was not in his drink. It happened prior to the play. Right. Yeah, it was on his, uh, it was on his playbill. Mm-hmm. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Well, he still killed him over using a 107, yeah, 107 year old scotch. Yeah. That's an old scotch. Rob? Only on Earth. Um, I gave the head lush to Amos. Um, He went on some sort of drunken bender uh, after he pushed the little kid or got pushed by the little kid. Yep. Amos is getting mine too for his drunken whoring bender. I mean, it looked like he hadn't showered in days and had been going at it for days without sleep. So you guys think that's what happened? See, I've got him um, queued up for another reward here because I think he got with uh, Kodazar and he had his head messed with. No. No. Oh. I, uh, nope. I mean, Could, yeah, I don't know. Cortazar had no method to be able to jack with his head. Yeah, he had everything he wanted to in his lap. Mm. And that was all taken by Dawes. Yeah, but I don't think, uh, he didn't have the stuff to be able to like fry his brain. Yeah, I read that wrong then, but i that's how I read yeah. it. Yeah, so I think Amos in that was asking how Kona... I think he was trying to see if he was like uh, Commissar... Cortazar. Uh, Cortazar. Because okay. he, he saw similarities between the way uh, Cortazar acted and the way he thought and acted. And so I think he was trying to reverse that cycle. He was he was trying to be something different than what Cortazar was. I think he was having a moment of self reflection, because in 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 one of the uh, last episodes he was like, you know, I've been trying to think more for myself now, and I'm making the I'm making the wrong choices. And Naomi said, we all make wrong choices. So I think he was trying to change the way he reacted to the world, because normally the way he reacted to the world was very self-centered and, you know, with, uh, with violence to, uh, 
to stop whatever was annoying him at the, that time, much like Cortazar. And so I think he was trying to kind of feel more empathetic towards situations. Makes a lot of sense to me, and I'm glad we had this talk. <laughs> Um, yeah, so he's getting my head lush. Uh, Rob, who gets your player? Uh, oh, I'm giving it, it's a, it's a tie. Uh, I'm giving it to Holden and Naomi both, uh, for their airlock action. <laughs> okay. SP. Yeah. Unlike last season, Naomi does get to play a little bit, but I'm actually going to go for Miller and Mal in the Eros asteroid. He finally gets his time with his girl. Yep. That's who's getting mine is Miller. Uh, because he finally gets to meet the girl that he fell in love with through Holovids. And uh, he averts disaster by reaching out to her and, and making that connection. So he's getting my player. All right, SP, who gets your purple hippo? Oh, this is easy for me this time, Draper. Bobby Draper, she gets it because... <laughs> Her CEO, friend of her dad, was convincing her to say something that was completely wrong. And she had to find out that they killed her friends, her team, just because of a weapons test and were trying to cover it up. So she went ape crap on him, punched him in the throat, wrecked his face, and then defected because of it. So I'm going to give it to Draper. Perfectly rational things, but the mind frack that happened to her during the entire season to get to that point, I'm going to give it to her. Okay. Rob? Yeah, Draper's an easy one, uh, but I'm going with Adam Savage floating in Venus. <laughs> <laughs> and I love whatever the, the ship breaks apart. So you see Adam Savage, and I was surprised not to see him in the previous two episodes where they showed that ship. He was only in that very last episode. Right. Nope. No, he was in two episodes. He was. was he? Yeah, you just did, he didn't yeah. have any speaking parts. I didn't see him because I was looking for him. Yep, but he's I didn't in there. see him in the in the prior episode, and then you see him a couple different times in that very last episode. Yep, he's got the the speaking part, and then he's right there at the very beginning of the screen whenever the ship blows apart, and he kind of drifts off to the left side. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they show him first before they zero in on the uh, scientist and the yeah, captain. Yeah, he's, he's right Janus. up in the center. Um, but no, so my uh, my purple hippo is going to go to Julie Mao. Um, because she, you know, died from the proto molecule and somehow was resurrected by the proto molecule and kind of merged in with Eros and was driving Eros toward Earth, thinking that she was in the Razorback and racing towards home. So um, when Miller came along and kind of revealed that, no, she was actually kind of dead and uh, she was driving a, a giant asteroid towards earth and uh you know maybe if you hook up with me we can go to venus you know the planet of love and uh crash there yeah that's that's gonna get my purple hippo she got my purple hippo last time yeah i don't think that's a wrong choice but what do you guys think that the proto molecule just wanted to get somewhere where there is a concentration of population so it was trying to feed Julie into taking it, quote unquote, home where Earth was where all the people were versus uh, going somewhere where there's raw material to make what they're about to make. So I don't know that it was the proto molecule that was making her go to Earth. Yeah. So originally Phoebe was supposed to hit Earth to Eros. No, Phoebe was supposed to hit Earth and got hijacked. 
Uh, oh, by Jupiter. By Jupiter, yeah, okay. right. So, fe- so the protomolecule was supposed to go to go there um, and to do what it's doing now in Venus using um, using uh, simple organisms, right? Bacteria, things like that. Um, the fact that we're complex organisms has thrown that protomolecule for a loop and it is figuring out what it needs to do. So it's ever evolving, right? It's a, it's ever, uh, the more mass you give it, the, the more it learns as Cortazar said and, uh, Dresden said. So I think, I think it was Julie, uh, wanting to get to Earth, and I think the proto molecule was just kind of like, yeah, okay, whatever. Okay. You know, I have I have a job to do, but I don't know how to do it yet because you have given me complex organisms as opposed to simple organisms, single cell bacteria, and that that kind of deal that I can use that uh, biomass to do what I need to do. I think its brain got corrupted by that modern rock music. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that yeah, yeah. It'll fry your brain, man. That new wave synth stuff, yeah. Oh my god, you two are dorks. <laughs> you, you have us on the show. <laughs> yeah. So next week uh, we're going to be discussing the the movie where a mysterious force knocks the moon from its orbit around Earth and sends it hurtling on a collision course with life as we know it. It is 2022's Moonfall. Uh, this stars Halle Berry, Patrick Wilson, and John Bradley. Wow, there's uh, three actors I haven't seen in a while. Two of them I haven't seen in a long while. John Bradley, that's uh, that's Samuel Tarley, yes, right? Yes, that's Samuel Tarley. <laughs> All right. Yeah. So next week we're gonna we're gonna see the future of Game of Thrones. Game of Thrones in space. Game of Thrones mm-hmm. in space. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. All right, well, thanks again, SP. Where can we find you? First of all, thank you so much for having me on. I've been wanting to talk about this stuff for a long, long time. You guys give me a great opportunity. Thank you very much for that. You can find me over on the GunnaGeek.com network. That's G-O-N-N-A-G-E-E-K.com. I have an active podcast over there called Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D., all about the Marvel Cinematic Universe. We're going over the x-men animated series getting ready for that 97 x-men probably at the end of next year maybe 2024 this first time ever that i'm getting to watch it so we're doing that and watching all the marvel movies at the same time as well as i have a podcast about podcasting that's on hiatus for a little bit longer called better podcasting over there all right, and that's all we've got for this week. Our intro and outro music is Welcome Home by Cambo. Hot Crawl music uh, is Snack Mix by Machette. Gave me some flight If you like the show, please rate that. and review us on iTunes. You can leave us feedback I on did. our Discord channel at smokingandrinkingandspace.com forward slash Discord. To get to on Mars, Twitter right? at Setus underscore podcast, or you can email us at smokingandrinkingandspaceoutlook.com. If you'd like to throw a few nickels our way, you can Only become a Patreon supporter by to going Pluto. to smokingandrinkingandspace.com forward slash Patreon. Or this week, I'm Jason, and yes, I agree that his anus is 11 days wide. (laughs) What the hell? That's not nice. That's that's mean. (laughs) And we'll talk to you next next episode. (laughs) So mean.
And this week, we continue our coverage of The Expanse with this season that asks the question, isn't glowy blue stuff really pretty? Starring Shorya Agadashlu, Frankie Adams, and Kaz Anvar, it's season two of The Expanse. Let me try that whole fucking thing over again. <coughs> Woohoo! Yeah, yeah, yeah. God damn, there's a lot of tongue twisters in there. You wrote it. I know. And this week, we continue our coverage of The Expanse with the season that asks the question, isn't glowy st- blue stuff really pretty? Starring Shori Agat... Oh, God damn it, I can't get past her <laughs> fucking name. Shore You're going to stumble even before that. You know, Shore if you just... Agadashlu. 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 Okay. Shore Agadashlu. And this week, we... Continue our coverage of The Expanse with the season that asks the question, isn't glowy blue stuff really pretty? Starring Shore Agat... <laughs> Damn it. Will you hurry up? Yeah, it's going to be one of those fucking nights, isn't it? Man, it's... Do you want to slow down just a little it's bit? It's going to be like a three-hour yeah. recording and uh, only about five oh, useful min- minutes. You shut up, Rob. Just like any lovemaking session with you. Yeah. <laughs> Going in the fucking yeah, reel. I'll throw it in the back end. I'll throw it in the back end. Uh, <laughs> oh, that made my recording. Now can you uh, make can you make the normal recording? Shut up. And this week we continue our coverage of the expanse with the season that asked the question, isn't glowy blue stuff really pretty? Starring Shoryag da- <laughs> Shore Agdashlu, I'll never get that right. Frankie Adams and Kaz and the Kaz and Fark. He's on the funny juice tonight, ladies yeah, and gentlemen. Self, oh shit! Self-inflicted <laughs> asphyxiation. See, I can say that right. No, it's <laughs> it's autoerotic self-asphyxiation. No, I. <laughs> Whatever. I, I never have a problem with or auto. auto <laughs> I don't have a problem with autoerotic. It's always the asphyxiation part. And I said it right twice now tonight. So get your mm. shit together. Come on. <laughs>